and that was it. Then I think I have that tweet alone. That sounds like an away message on AIM. <laughs> oh my gosh, oh, ERB. Rest in peace, AIM. Oh my goodness. Right. Those, those were the best. Like, gotta take a shower, then I'm gonna make a cheese sandwich. <laughs> BRB. BRB. Yeah, if you need me and the landline's busy, you can call back. Right. Oh, oh my gosh, the good old days. Wow. I'm Nina. And I'm Liz. We don't have all the answers, but we do have a bottle of wine and some thoughts. If you're looking for honest musings on life, happiness, health, and wellness, you've come to the right place. We'll even throw in a couple off-the-wall jokes, some personal stories, and of course, some shenanigans. So grab a glass of wine and join the conversation. Hey. We're just feeling all the musical vibes today. Um, Hello, Wine and Shiners. Welcome back to a new episode of The Pod. Today, we are talking to Callie Rogers. She is the founder and janitor, as she says. This is not our words. This is in the bio of Blush Online Life Coaching. She and her team of master-level coaches help females from all around the globe conquer their quarter-life crises and grow into self-confident and wonderful people. I absolutely loved this conversation. I felt like it was really a conversation about loving yourself and trusting yourself and not worrying about people pleasing and doing what society tells you to do. And that's the reason we all have these, these moments in our lives where we have these freakouts is because we realize we're not living our truest selves. We're living everybody else's idea of who we we haven't, we haven't advocated for ourselves. I think that's a huge problem. We talk about being selfish in this episode and you know, how, people's concept of selfish really isn't selfish. It's setting healthy boundaries and making sure that you're actually part of the equation in the situations you encounter that stress you out. So I think there's a lot of stuff in here about transitions as well. We talk about Transitions is huge. We talk about some of the stuff that, um, you know, as kids, when we go through school, we have all of these different, basically a set path of if Mm -hmm. you follow the rules, if you do this, you end up, you're you're good to go. And then we finally get to adulthood and there's no more set path anymore. And in fact, people have expectations of what we should be doing without there being a clearly defined path of what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. So it causes a lot of turmoil and especially for people in their early 20s and even, you know, this stuff pops up later in life. You get that kind of crisis feeling. So she has a book called Conquering Your Quarter Life Crisis. As well as an online community called Blush that offers live online coaching and a really wonderful supportive group of all master's level certified counselors. Mm -hmm. So it is a great place that you should definitely check out. So we can't wait to dive into this episode. But before we do, we just want to touch base a little bit on Care of Vitamins. They are still sponsoring us. You guys are still purchasing from them. It's wonderful. Um, If you are interested in, you know, revving up your life with a little bit of nutrients— Head on over to TakeCareOf.com. And you know what? You don't even have to take the little quiz that we talk to you about every single episode. You can literally just go on and be like, I want B vitamins. Check. I want omega-3 vitamins. Boom. I want ashwagandha. That's not how you say it. I love it. That was really impressive, though. Ashwagandha. I think I added a G in there. Ashwagandha. (laughs) Um, If you want that, you can get it at Care Of as well. So head on over, use our code SHINE, and you get 50% off your first month's order. 
All right. Well, let's head into our really awesome conversation with Kelly Rogers. Hi, Callie. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We can't wait to chat about a topic we haven't really discussed, which is the quarter life crisis. Yes, I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Of course. Short note, I think I decided that I was going to be your best friend when I saw in your bio that you rewatch the Office and Parks and Recreation episodes. Oh my gosh, it's it's like my life story. (laughs) That's all I do. Yeah. And also I, my husband's obsessed with Parks and Rec and The Office. And so although I cannot quote the episodes like word for word, like all of you can, we actually went to a trivia. We did. And I didn't know like any of the answers, but I watch it regularly as well. So I'm a huge fan. Oh my gosh. I would have crushed that. Okay. Have you guys seen The Good Place? It's Michael Sarah's like new show. Oh man. With Kristen Bell. You got to watch it. It's on Netflix season one. that. Okay. Oh, it's it's everything and more. Like it's it's amazing. <laughs> I watched it in a day. Did you really? Wait, yeah. what is it called again? The Good Place. The Good Place. Wow. Why haven't we started that? Get on it. It's, All right. It's amazing. It's amazing. New anyway, I just had goals. to compliment you on your TV show choices, which shows that you have successfully conquered the quarter life crisis because you're able to make great television choices. Mm. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'm going to tell people that. Like, no, I have my life together. Just ask me the TV shows that I watch. Right. I can prove it. That's proof. pretty much, yeah, that's proof to getting your life together. Do you watch quality TV? Exactly. <laughs> and if you do, you're fine. You're going to be and set being, for life. Yeah, absolutely. And being in LA, like that actually is, a big deal out here. Like, yeah. instead of asking like, oh, well, what are your hobbies or what are you like as a person or anything like that? It's like, what do you watch? Uh-huh. And people judge you really intensely oh for your answers. So wow. I've learned to be like, like I've tried to read people like, okay, are they going to think Parks and Rec is cool? Like, I, I mean, it is cool, but I just got to make sure. Well, in and our book, you're cool. So that's all that matters. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So do you mind giving our listeners a little bit of information on how you came to the work that you do and just let them know all the fun facts? Yeah, sure. Okay. So let's see here. Um, I got my master's in counseling after studying psychology uh, in undergrad. And I was actually, I like taken the LSAT, was going to go to law school and do the whole thing. And my dad very smartly set me up with some female attorneys who kept on talking about how the best moments of their day was when they wore the therapist hat. And so it was a very subtle push of maybe law school isn't for you if you're trying to somehow play therapist Mm. as a lawyer. Like, why don't you just be a therapist? I was like, ah, that's probably a better idea. So I went to grad school, studied counseling, enjoyed it. it. I mean, honestly, it was it, it was a terrible time for me because that's when I was going through my own quarter-life crisis. Mm-hmm. But I really did enjoy just the program, the professors. Um, I mean, it was basically like one big therapy session was grad school, which was incredible. And uh, I graduated and, and stumbled again, did not click with private practice, was struggling to find a job where I could work with the population that I wanted to work with, as well as just get some experience. So I really fell in love with the concept of life coaching, but from the standpoint of a counselor, because, you know, life coaching, there's, there's just a lot of coaches out there and you never know, like you guys were talking about how you studied at the, what what was it called again? INN, like the Yeah, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Yes. Yes. So that's like a huge program. And I know a lot of people who have thought about going or studied and it's great, but you, you just never really know Mm -hmm. where coaches have studied. They know what they're doing. So I was a little reluctant to jump in that path because we were taught 
so distinctly, like, do not cross into life coaching territory because it's the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a really good student and did not listen and <laughs> went full force into it. And really, that's how Blush started was this inability to really jumpstart my career in counseling. And, you know, it was, it was kind of like a, a series of failures. And Blush ended up almost being like a last thing for me. I had pitched this idea to a restaurant company who was having trouble with employees. And I I worked there as a bartender and I was like, Hey, I think you need to do this teleconsulting thing Mm. where you can have me go on and talk to them and talk them through their problems and maybe turnover will decrease. And they were like, no, that's a really bad (laughs) idea. Get out of here. I was like, okay, cool. Way to crush my dreams. (laughs) Yeah. you didn't even consider that, did you? And I had come up with this whole plan. So that's when my dad and I got together. And he was like, look, Callie, if you have this idea and you worked hard for it, like, why don't you adjust a few things to where you don't need somebody else to say yes Mm -hmm. in order for you to do it? Just do it. I was like, wait, what? It was, it was very terrifying, but I mean, obviously it was one of the better decisions that I've made thus far. So that's, that is a long story long how I got into this. I love that. And I noticed, so all of, so it's an online um, space where people can come to get life coaching, right? Yeah, sorry. I didn't even like, I just threw in blush. Like you guys know what blush is, right? It's fine. So <laughs> Google. Wait, so, Google? <laughs> yeah, right. That's so the, what Google's the for. End result, <laughs> yeah, the end result was basically an online private practice. So back in the day, it was really just me working with clients who would find me online through blogs or through, you know, other articles or through social media. And they would, they sign up, they pick a monthly plan. So we have a subscription based model. Everything is, is pretty heavily discounted to reward consistency, which I like sessions are a half hour long because, uh, females, we talk really fast mm-hmm. and we tend to get things quickly. So I realized that an hour was kind of dragging on. So mm-hmm. I made it 30 minutes, mm. of course, makes it cheaper, which is great because I think everyone should be able to afford some form of self-help. Definitely. So everything's done online, right? We do video sessions, we do journaling, which is basically a glorified email. And then once I got filled up with clients, uh, I recruited my some of my good friends from grad school who uh, not only were, you know, friends of mine, but also exceptionally talented people. I was going to say they all have masters in counseling. Yes. Yes. That's one of my requirements. And and actually bringing one on right now, who's got her master's in social work, which I mean, to me is it's the same thing. So as long as you have, as long as you have a master's in mental health, like you're, you're going to be eligible. And I, I do that just as quality control. Cause I'm not big brother. I'm not listening in on your sessions or, you know, making sure that that journal was typed correctly. Like I trust mm-hmm. everybody on the site. I want it to work in a very authentic way. So that's kind of my one way to make sure that everyone knows what they're doing. Nice. That's awesome. And I love that yeah. affordability is a part of that because yes. I think there are lots of people out there that they go to pursue something like this, like some sort of self-help, like coaching, and then they get scared by the sticker price. Exactly. And I think having, you know, like you said, like keeping it more affordable by offering those shorter times. I think that's really cool. I haven't seen that before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was part of the problem, I think, with trying to find work. Um, When I graduated school because I was trying to find opportunities to work with 20 somethings. And you quickly realize that 20 somethings can't afford therapy. I mean, unless it's covered, you know, by their insurance, which unfortunately most insurance plans cover like 
three sessions at the most and it's yeah. only a part of it. And I mean, it's just ridiculous. So it's like, oh, no wonder I can't work with this population because they're they're not even seeking it out. Mm-hmm. That's a huge problem. And I, like even a couple years ago when I wanted to work with a health coach, I was like, man, I really need to work with a health coach just because you need that tailored conversation and you need somebody that's going to sit down and listen to everything you need and, you know, break down your symptoms and all of that stuff. Things that doctors just, they don't have time to do. And that's not, that's not what they're there to do. And I was like, but I can't afford it. And it was always an issue. It's like on one end, you want to invest in yourself and you want to be healthy. But at the same point, if you don't have the money to do it, you're stuck. So it's awesome that there's this resource out there that's affordable for people that need help. Absolutely. And this isn't to knock a lot of life coaching their models. I mean, because I know Mm -hmm. a lot of it is like a 12-week program for $15,000. And a lot of those programs, I mean, they very well might be worth it. And I'm not going to come out there and say that they're wrong to have that price. Right. Because I think there is something psychological that happens when you do go into a big investment, you're going to give it your all. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just paid $15,000 for something, it better change everything in right. your life. Mm-hmm. So there is a mental component, but that's just not what I wanted to create with blush. I, that to me, they're completely different and someone can actually work with blush and go do those big ticket coaching programs if that's what they want. Cause I just feel like we're so different right. and it's fulfilling a completely separate need, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. No, absolutely. So we talk about 20-somethings and that being, you know, mainly who you're working with and this idea of a quarter-life crisis. Can you define what that is? I mean, I think we talk a lot about midlife crisis and everyone, you know, you think of like the dad with the motorcycle and all the stereotypical Mm. things of like a midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. But how, how are people starting those difficult moments so much earlier? like having this level of anxiety earlier that it's being defined as like a crisis. Right. So like a midlife crisis, I like to think of more as an existential crisis. It's this realization that you're going to die one day Mm -hmm. and have you done everything that you need to do with your time on earth. And that's when they're like, no, I haven't gotten the big shiny car, you know, (laughs) and they start to freak out and try to like deny that time is changing and passing them by. So a quarter life crisis isn't so much about that. They're kind of similar in the sense that there is that anxiety and panic of your age, Mm -hmm. but it's really more about not understanding how to be an adult. Mm. And that can come up really anytime in your 20s. And sometimes I even see it sneak up in early 30-somethings. But it's really, I think, the makings of going through high school and college with this lovely formula that everybody follows, which is, you know, choose your classes, select a major, make sure you study, show up for tests. If you're doing a project, follow the rubric, make friends, join the basketball team. Like, There are very obvious boxes to check Mm -hmm. in those phases of your life. And then when you graduate, we assume that there are obvious boxes to check, like get an apartment, also have friends, make money, love your life. But it's so like, that's really it. It's just like, okay, find some place to live and like get a job. Mm -hmm. But other than that, there's, there's really no way to tell how we're succeeding. There's no like mile markers other than I guess getting married, which that is frightening that that is a marker of success for a 20 something like that should absolutely not be. But yeah, it's just like this time of, uh Oh, I'm supposed to be really, really happy. 
Instagram is telling me that everybody else is really, really happy. So why am I not really happy? And what do I do about it? And uh uh-oh, I don't even think I'm checking any boxes at the moment. So then they spiral and everyone freaks out and you feel really stuck and you just feel like everything is so permanent because this is really the first time that there's not like an end in sight. Like in high school, you know that you're going to have summer break and Christmas break. Same with college. You know that there's a graduation you're approaching and then everything's going to change. But when you're an adult, like uh, there's not really this deadline of, oh, if I get everything wrapped up by then, then the next phase will start. It's just like, this is life. I know. I I think about that a lot in even... I feel like me and Liz, like, I feel like we're getting past that quarter life crisis phase, right? It's like, okay, so now we've been doing what we've been doing for a while. We're pursuing new things. Like, we kind of feel like we're getting this life thing together. But even now, it's like, okay, what, what are the next boxes to check? Like... I've been married. Okay, now I'm not ready for kids. So now what? And I've do I just keep doing my career the way that I'm doing it? It's like our, our entire lives, you're so right. It's like we know we go to elementary school, then middle, then high school, then college, then get a job. And then that's all of a sudden where it all ends. And it's like, what, what do we do now? So right. what do you tell people that are currently in that crisis? And they're like, I have no box to check. I, what is wrong with me? Why am I not happy? What do I do? Yeah. So first, a big one is redefining social norms um, and trying to like break the mold with the way that they think that their life should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I think what's happening is that while in, again, in high school and college, you actually have some concrete steps to follow. And like there is a system that if you check all of this, you graduate. And when you do graduate and you're out there, like I think we've all decided that there is another formula to follow, but there's not. And we're just looking over our shoulder and being like, oh, well, Jenny's making, you know, this much a year and Barbara's Mm. about to get married. And apparently I'm talking about the Bush sisters, which I don't know why that just (laughs) happened. But, you know, like people like look and say, they're just making it up. Like there's no higher level that's saying this is how you become successful in your 20s, you're just looking at what everybody else is doing. It all seems to be monetary. Yeah, deciding like, oh, I guess that's what I need to be doing, which is a huge mistake. And it's so easy. Like at that point, it's like, "Uh uh-oh, girl, okay, you got to back up. So that's what we focus a lot of our work on is actually just figuring out, okay, no, 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 what's important to you? Like, let's mm-hmm. talk about your values. Let's talk about your family. Let's talk about the lessons that you've learned. Let's talk about what you agree with, what you don't agree with. Let's talk about your 10-year abstract vision of what it's going to look like when you reach that point. And from there, we can start making some moves, but there are no moves to make when you're trying to follow a formula that doesn't exist. Right. I think a lot of people get stuck in the rut of trying to find happiness outside of themselves. So I think our formula, like you said, is a a job or more money or marriage or kids or a car or a house. That's always a huge one. I think for people our age, like I know me and Liz are renting right now. It's Mm -hmm. like the next thing you think you're supposed to do is buy a house. And then you realize that all of these things and stuff that you've accumulated is still not fulfilling you like it's supposed to. And so, like you said, the the benefit of having a coach or talking to someone is like, they can help you dig deeper and be like, okay, well, why do you want all of these things? Like, what do you actually want in life? 
Absolutely. And it's funny because we do a lot of values-based work. And I honestly used to believe that your values were this permanent thing that you just, not that you were born with, but that they just kind of like grew over time and then they're locked and they're set in stone. And I've been doing a lot more reading lately that's made me shift that view and like, you can have bad values. (laughs) You can actually look inside and be like, that's not serving you. So why don't we ditch that value and create a new one? And I, I didn't even realize that that's the work that we were doing. Like sometimes I just get so in the process that I'm like, oh, well now we're doing this now. Now we're doing this. And it's true that there are a lot of swapping values. Like, like maybe we shouldn't focus on how virtual Jenny looks and let's mm-hmm. just focus on how real Jenny looks. And like, let's not value our persona as much as you used to, which I totally understand how we're all programmed to do that in high school and college. Like I, I get it, but exactly what you were saying, like, it's just tough to lose perspective in those moments. And so talking to someone and really like boiling down what matters is usually what gets you out of this funk. I love that. I think, I feel like that's been my answer to everything lately. It's just like, that's where you get your clarity is within. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I mean, every person we've had on the podcast, that's yeah, what that's it, like that, the theme. it's what it boils down to. Yeah. It's like find your value from within. You do you. You do you. That's our wine and shine quote. We've said it so many times. You do you. That's how you find your happiness. Yeah, yeah. Because when you're when you're trying to basically copycat other people's life stories, it's never gonna work for you. Yeah, it's not it yours. just no. isn't. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Because it's not yours. And like, honestly, were you that happy in high school and that happy in college following this like society formula then? Like it probably felt nice to have that security that you were going down the right path and everyone liked that. But this newfound anxiety could actually be really good for you because it could be forcing you to really ask yourself some tough questions that you didn't have to ask yourself before. Well, I think that's the reason why all of us have so much anxiety at this point in our lives. It actually makes me really sad because, and I think I've brought this up before, but just being a teacher, I witness what the kids are going through all of the time. And they, none of them have their, like the ability to make their own decisions about things. So it's like, they have to sit in class and they have to learn this and they have to do their homework and they have to get good test scores, especially when you work at a school that is, you know, top rated and you have really successful parents in that district. Like everybody's pushing kids to meet all of these standards. And then that's what they think life is about. And then when you graduate, then your life is about going to that good college. And then you have to meet all of those standards. And it's just, then you find people in their early twenties that are in jobs that they think they were supposed to get. That they hate. That they hate. (laughs) And so many people right now is what I'm seeing with our friends and with the people we talk about are now at this point where they're like, wait, hold up, halt. I'm not amused with where I'm at. I'm not happy in my situation. And then we, they start having to do all of the work later in life. I wish there was a way we could teach people younger mm-hmm. to start to see these things. I think it needs to happen. I don't know. I don't know how I think it needs to happen. I'm curious, Callie, to get your thoughts on gap years. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that they can be really great, but— uh, and I don't have strong opinions either way. I think it totally has to do with your own emotional maturity and your own desire to figure things out on— like on your own, like, I don't think that I would have done well with a gap year, Hmm. me personally. Um, I think just knowing that I was putting something off that I was going to have to do eventually 
would totally have erased any of the benefits of just taking a beat. So for me, uh, no, but for other people, I think it's great. And so that's why I- I've never had a strong stance on those just because I-, I know myself so well to be mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know about that girl. But what you were saying earlier really struck a chord with me, which was kids are constantly being told what to do. Absolutely. And that's also at the heart of it is it's, I mean, it's hilarious to me that we are told what to do from age zero mm-hmm. to age really 21, 22, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. because she'll be told what to do in college. Yes. And then all of a sudden at 23, it's like, Fight how do you not for know yourself. what to do? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How, how do you not know what to think about that? 100%. Why are you like, make all of these decisions? Because in your 20s, a lot of people get married, not everyone, but a lot. Um, mostly everyone gets their first job. Mostly everyone decides what city they're going to live in for the foreseeable future. I mean, those are some really big decisions and we have not been trained our entire Mm -hmm. lives to think for ourselves. Even like I'm thinking, you know, I've heard people talk about in the workplace, people like, oh, she's an order taker, like like categorizing people as being someone that can't doesn't have that skill. But you're right. Where do you get it from? Society, I mean, that's just something that you have to learn you're supposed to do and start thinking outside the box and looking for opportunities. Your whole life you've been told, like, do this, do this, do this. So, of course, it's a skill people are going to take into the workplace. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And the ones who maybe weren't order takers in school were also known as troublemakers. Right. So, uh-huh. it's like so really true. odd concept that we're struggling with that, like, troublemakers all of a sudden become rebels and creative thinkers and, you know, people who really see things, like you said, outside the box, but then order takers get out and they're like, okay, can I keep doing this plug and chug formula thing? And the world's like, no girl. Yeah. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> so it's, it's really confusing. And I, there's reason that we're all sitting here at 23, 24, 25 going, this is not what I signed up for. Like, can I have a refund, please? I uh-uh. Of life? No. <laughs> yeah. I'm having this huge dilemma because I, right now I have a study hall last period that I'm in charge of. And, you know, these kids are like, it's last period. It's the end of the day. They all need to sit in a room and be quiet. And, you know, that's not what kids want to do. Like, absolutely not. And they don't feel like doing homework anymore. It's the end of the day. And a lot of kids, you know, it's my job to keep the room orderly and to have everybody be quiet and sit in their seats. And so on one end, I'm like, okay, I need to control this classroom. But on the other end, I want to be like, kid, I get it. I don't want, I wouldn't want to sit here and do that homework either. I understand why you are like trying to disrupt the classroom. I would want to too. And it's like, I'm torn in two directions with like, okay, when you're in the system, sometimes you just gotta go with the the system and play by the rules because I need this period to go well and so do you. So let's just like be quiet and get it done. But then on the Mm -hmm. other hand, I'm like, also kid, that's going to serve you well because you're right. Like, why are you forced to sit in here and be quiet and do homework when you don't need to finish it right now? You know, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's such a hard topic. It's hard to find the solution. Yeah, it absolutely is. And a lot of times I don't have the answer for some of some of my clients who are like, how did I end up here? I'm like, well, you kind of ended up here because like everything told you to end up here. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so I, I would love to say like, oh, this is where you went wrong. This is where you, if we just correct ABC, then like you'll be fine. But it's really like, no, you're, you're a product of our society. Exactly. You know, and, and this is not your fault. And it's going to take you a bit to, we're essentially re- rewiring your brain 
And it's going to take a while to get you to start valuing things that will make you happy and to get you to forget about those rules that have been in place in your life for decades. Well, and when you know better, you do better, right? It's like Mm -hmm. once you, and when you're younger, you also, I don't think have the awareness and the intellect to process these things. And when you get to be our age, that's when it all starts making sense Mm -hmm. and you can start processing. And, and like you said, changing the stories before you don't even know their stories that you've told yourself. You just think they're fact. Like this is how I am. And this is how life goes. But Mm -hmm. at least when we're older, we can be like, "Mm, I can change that. Like, this isn't something that has to be truth. Right. I'm in control of my own narrative. And that's really empowering to all of a sudden. I mean, I had a client actually today tell me that she wasn't going to let this struggle that she's been, you know, really facing in her romantic life define her anymore. And she wasn't going to put blame onto that, you know, pitfall and assign meaning to it anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's like, she was like, do you think that's going to help? And I was like, I think it's going to change everything. Yeah. Honestly. You go, the second you (laughs) Right? If you release someone of their power or something or some story of their power and their significance, then, I mean, think about all the moments that we've lived and think about the ones that stand out to us. If you went back and tried to highlight different ones, yeah, our life would look a lot different. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, um, being... I am traditionally someone that does follow the rules. I would have not have been the rebel rule breaker in I any was in the scenario. Middle. I was in the middle. Sometimes I tested waters, but usually it was very orderly. But I'm wondering how does like people pleasing and the inability to set boundaries play into maybe that feeling of, of anxiety that leads up to a quarter life crisis? Because mm. I feel like that whole sense of, playing by all the rules also lends itself to being courteous to others, maybe too courteous to others and not advocating for yourself. People pleasing is hard. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think there's a huge correlation and a lot of times it really doesn't have a ton to do with peers. A lot of time it has everything to do with parents Hmm. and then it has a lot to do with just people in the abstract form. Like what would people think? if I quit my job and did this, what would people in general think if I did not go to medical school? I get that a lot of like people as a whole, but then it's also mom and dad who have had Mm -hmm. dreams and aspirations and expectations of their, and you know, I work most, mostly with women. So it's their little girl, their people pleasing, you know, rule following smart, successful girl what do you mean you want to start your own business? Oh my God, are you serious? Like, you know, there's a lot of pushback when people-pleasing rule followers start to think for themselves. And even though it's good for them developmentally and you would think that parents would like it, you're causing vibrations to start going on in a system and people don't like instability. So, You know, even though parents can logically think like, oh, this is really good that little Jenny is like making decisions for herself and she's thinking for herself and blah, blah, blah. They don't like the shift. Mm -hmm. They don't like that they're feeling movement and they're very peaceful system. You're talking to my parents. (laughs) Like that is is like 120% my parents. And just me, I mean, I'm turning 29 this year and I've been talking to my parents about my transition into health coaching. And like, you would not believe the fear 
because I've done everything to the books, you know, since yep. I've graduated. And they just want to know you're safe it, and taken care of. Right. And that's true. It comes from a good place. But it's also what causes quarter life crises because yeah. crises? Is crises. That a word? Crises. I was like, that's, <laughs> not, that's not correct. <laughs> but oh my gosh, no, just when you were talking about that, I was like, yes. Yes, yes. That was my entire life of just being afraid to make a mistake, really. And it wasn't about how I would feel after that mistake. It was never about that. It was about how would my parents feel? How would my family feel? How would people view me if I make a mistake? And that's just not a way to live your life. No, it's not because you're going to disappoint them regardless. Exactly. Because the funny thing is if you stay at this job, for 10, you know, not teaching necessarily, but just any job that you're right. not happy with. And then, you know, in, in five Thanksgivings, you finally say like, I haven't liked my job in the past eight years. And they're going to be like, well, why, why the hell you did you anything? stay? Right. <laughs> well, why didn't you like, you're such a disappointment. It's like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Damn if I tried to do, damn change it. Don't. Yeah. So my next question would be, How do we focus on ourselves and what we want then without feeling selfish? Because I think that seems to be the issue that a lot of people struggle with because you're so used to wanting to please other people and make sure everybody else is fine, especially women want to make sure everybody else is fine before themselves. Taken care of. Exactly. And then when you focus on what you want, it almost feels like you're being selfish. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So- I actually tell girls to feel selfish. Mm. And if they don't feel like the center of the universe, they're not doing it right. Because the deal is, is these girls who suffer from a quarter life crisis are people pleasers. They are perfectionists. They are constantly worried about how other people feel and what they think. So them trying to be selfish is still not going to get them to a selfish place And I know that. And of course I'm watching them. We check in every week. It's almost like I'm their little monitor. That's like, I'll let them know when they start becoming a selfish troll. Mm -hmm. But to this day, it is yet to happen. Right. And what ends up happening is this amazing system where they start acting for themselves and they start living for themselves and they create strong boundaries so that when they get pushed back, they can always come back to the boundary and be like, that's why it's there and it's okay and I'm not being selfish, it's healthy. And then they in turn become better daughters, better sisters, better friends, better girlfriends, better you know employees, Everything across the board in their life elevates. And the people who don't elevate with them are asked to leave. And the ones that do, they like so many better relationships arise out of it. Mm -hmm. And actually, I I posted this on our Blush Instagram account like a few days ago. And it was like, it, it is not... Something about being selfish. And some girl commented, like, it's selfful. I was like, oh, girl, you are right. Like, that is such a better way to say Mm -hmm. it. I say selfish because I want people to get over that word and to embrace it. It Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're being a bad person if you're thinking about yourself. Because if you are happy, you are going to serve your purpose and this world in a much better way. Because you're going to be happier. And happy people just don't kill their husbands. I'm kidding. But you know what I mean? <laughs> I love I mean, like, <laughs> that too. That right? too. <laughs> but no, I mean, happy people are better to be around and they do contribute more. So it's so funny that by being selfish, you actually get the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. You're not living your life for everybody else. You need to be happy in what you are doing every day. 
Right, right. I'm trying, so this is an area for me that I'm really like just now trying to, I'm really trying to be better about setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. It's extremely hard for me. Um, So selfishly, I want to ask. um, (laughs) Selffully. Selffully, I want to ask, like, I don't even know the warning signs of if I were actually being selfish. Like, I don't even know what that would look like to cross that fine line into taking care of myself and establishing boundaries and being a selfish person. Can you (laughs) clarify, like, what are some signs that you're going past boundary setting? Even though you haven't seen it happen, because it is my number one fear that I would, like— go to the extreme and try and try to set a boundary. And it was actually really rude. <laughs> well, in the sense that I haven't seen it happen. I mean, I haven't seen one of my clients transform into a little monster overnight, gotcha. <laughs> but I will say that the only, and I'm saying the only thing that you need to be concerned with would be other people giving you that feedback mm-hmm. because the deal is, is you're trying to rescue others by monitoring their boundaries. And that's not your job. That's their job. So that's the beautiful thing about boundaries is you just need to stay in your lane, worry about the ones that you have set, and then obviously respect other people's boundaries. And the way that you're going to know that is if they tell you about those boundaries and then tell you that you've crossed those boundaries. And it just creates such a beautiful system of accountability. Because if we're not doing that, then you're going to be sitting there worrying that Karen from the front desk office is mad at you because she gave you an ugly stare and you're like, oh my God, I was selfish because I didn't (laughs) offer to get coffee, but I was running late and I really didn't have any time. But in reality, Karen actually got dumped last night. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not about you. But if you were being selfish, then Karen would have to rise to the occasion and say, hey, and that's on her. Exactly. Right. I didn't, I didn't like that, but that's her responsibility to stick up for herself, just like it's your responsibility to stick up for yourself and create healthy boundaries for you. But it's really great. I mean, if you are just like running over someone's boundaries, like they best be saying something or Mm -hmm. else they don't have strong boundaries. They have loose boundaries and they need to top them up. I've been thinking about that a lot lately when I'm nervous about somebody's reaction or whatever, like if a Karen situation for like your Karen situation, for example, it's like, if I'm worrying about this, you know, that's not, it's not my burden to carry. That's their burden. Like if they're upset about something, that's something within them that they need to that deal with. Have, and that they have right. to deal with. I mean, right. that they're feeling the effects of. Like I so often you. carry other people's problems, I've noticed. Or I mm-hmm. worry about the way people are going to react to me. And it's like, oh, shouldn't I just be focusing on my own things? Like why am I carrying everybody else's? And then when I when I realize or I catch myself that I'm carrying other people's worries or I'm focusing on somebody else's energy and I try and just, it's kind of like a mindful activity. I try and release that from my body. It's like, I honestly feel lighter, ridiculously lighter when I make a conscious choice to do that. Absolutely. Because you're rescuing people and people's problems that don't need to be rescued. Mm -hmm. And all of that space is going towards that. Whereas that space could be loosened up for somebody who actually is going to ask you for Mm -hmm. help. And in that way, you can be present and help them out and be there. Or maybe it'll go towards creative energy like this podcast or like the kids at school, right? Or for like coaching businesses or whatever else. But like that, we only have so much energy. And if we start assigning it to things that have not asked for it, 
we're just giving it away. That's the key. That honestly is the key Protect right Protect your there. energy. Right, because we don't have an unlimited amount of it. So if you realize you're giving your energy away to something that, one, doesn't fulfill you, has, has nothing to do with you, or is wasteful, you're putting all of that to something that could be going towards a goal that you have or something to benefit your own life. Like when you prioritize it in that way, it seems to click. Absolutely. Because there's nothing worse than the feeling that someone's mad at you. I mean, I get it. It's not like I've shaken that feeling of I'm just immune to other people's thoughts and feelings. Like, of course not. It still eats me alive. But instead, I've just only let it bother me when it's been presented to me. Mm -hmm. When somebody else has the courage to let me know that I've done something wrong, then I can feel bad about it because that's how we become a better person and that's how we grow. But I am not about to feel that way on purpose for people who don't even have really the courage to tell me Mm -hmm, that I did something wrong. Like that's not fair and it's not helping other people grow accountable. Do you think that's just a mindset shift then? Or is that like, how do we stop worrying? Because sometimes it feels like I can't help it. Like I'm, I'm just stewing over it. And my brain just keeps, you know, it's anxiety. Like it just keeps popping in your head and you want to be like, I can't help it. Well, but we can. So what are some tools when you start to worry uncontrollably about these things that you know you shouldn't be bothered by? Well, one, deep breathing and then distraction. Like just practice mm. removing it from your head. Two, like that's what we talk about all the time in blush sessions. I mean, blush sessions are meant for the conversation that you know you're not supposed to have with other people, but you need to get it out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And then another one that I like to do is go over the evidence, like the actual evidence, not behavior that you've attributed meaning to. For example, a dirty look. Well, what does that dirty look mean? Oh, nope. You can't attribute meaning to it. And how do you even know it was dirty? Mm -hmm. Like, do we really? Like, I think that's just an adjective that you're using. What if it was stressed? What if it was anxious? What if it was distracted? Like, you don't know. So going over the actual non-debatable evidence Mm -hmm. really pipes down that conversation. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden we're like, wow, we have, we're not working with anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There there is literally no evidence. We just, I am guilty of that all the time, just making up making up stories about people in my head and then believing those stories and then allowing the belief of those stories to impact my actions, which Mm -hmm. then makes it almost more likely that I'm going to have negative interactions with those people because there's some crazy story on loop in my head that's not even real. And I haven't looked at the real evidence and I haven't, you know, made sure that's the case or asked the person how they felt. I don't know if you've had this situation, but I feel like recently I've, So what happens is I'll get myself super stressed about a specific situation or I'm worrying about something. Then every time that situation is over or that person confronted me or whatever the case may be, I'm like, why in the world did I put so much stress and energy into this situation for one day, two days, even like an hour? And it didn't even, it was wasted Like it didn't even mean anything and now it's all gone. And every time that happens, it's just like sinks in more and more that I have the choice to not do that. Like I can save myself the cortisol and adrenaline rush and getting sick and all of those things. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's totally a choice. And that's, and that's honestly what I was going to say too. It really takes practice. I think that the second that we all realize that everyone suffers from invisible spotlight syndrome, where we <laughs> think that there's actually a spotlight following us around. And if there's a spotlight following us around, then there's a spotlight following them around and mm -hmm. them around. And then we realize that no one even has the bandwidth to think about us as much as we think that they do yeah, right. because they're preoccupied yes. with something else. Mm -hmm. So realizing that and realizing that we all do it is helpful. And then the second thing, like this is the best thing that I learned in grad school. And it was from one of my professors and she just said, for the rest of your life, just assume it's not about you. I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, I'm serious. You have, you ha like, you have to assume that pretty much everything isn't about you. Like nothing's about you unless they say, Hey Callie, this is about you. And then it's about you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that. She was like, just assume it's not about you. And I was like, well, how do you do that? She was like, you just practice. Yes. <laughs> and it's actually true because if you assume it's not about you and someone's trying to create some negative energy in your life, then they have to rise to the occasion, like we were talking about earlier, and tell you. Mm -hmm. And then if it's not about you, which most of the time it isn't, then it just isn't a thing and you never have to think about it again. And of course, it's not something that you're going to be like, oh, okay, just assume it's not about me. And then you never do it again. Right. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to practice it. But it's so much easier when you give a name to it. Like, okay, am I assuming it's about me? Yeah. I totally am right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you can realize, oh, well, I'm breaking one of the rules and keep going. It's just like this little trick that you can have in your back pocket that I think really keeps people accountable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And why, why wouldn't you do that? A lot of times I also, I think in that situation, like, okay, I could say this isn't about me, or I could say this is about me. And one option makes me feel really terrible about myself. And one option, you know, sets me off the hook. So which one am I going to choose? Right. I think too, like, I always think about like, I'm easily embarrassed, I think. And so like, if I get in a place where maybe like I'm having, let's say I'm having like a fat day or whatever, and I just don't feel great about my body. And I'm like walking around in a public place somewhere feeling like an ogre. <laughs> I, feel, <laughs> I feel like what always brings me down is a version of that where I'm like, everyone's just worried about themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't care about you. Mm -hmm. they, are, they feel like an ogre. <laughs> and they're like, does everyone think I'm an ogre? Like, that's, what, that's all they're doing is walking around wondering what everyone else is thinking about them. Exactly. So then you don't have yes. to stress so much about it. I've said the word ogre now way more than I have in my entire life. Or at least, <laughs> or at least since Shrek came out. I like, was actually <laughs> thinking, what made you choose the word ogre? It's a and great then I word. immediately thought of Shrek. It's a great word. It is a great word. It is a good word. It's a good word. But yeah, I mean, everybody has those days. And that's the point is that if you think about all the things that you think about in a given day, it's so much. And then you realize that everyone else has those things too. Yeah. And there's just not a ton of room to be really concentrating on some stranger across the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that you're never going to see again room. and don't care yeah. about. <laughs> that, that, that's just not what's on people's minds and these little encounters. I mean, we are very self-absorbed because the world is a crazy place and we need to be in order to protect ourselves, mm -hmm. right? It's a really crazy realization, but the, the deal is, is you guys are pretty self-aware. A lot of people don't even realize that they're doing this and it's a game changer when they realize that there's something they can do about it. Yeah. You know what book changed my life? 
You Are a Badass. That book changed my life by, how do we say her last name? Jen, Jen Sincero. Zen. I just Zen. Said Zen. I, Jen Sincero. I've been saying Sin, Sincero, I think, for a while. And then someone said Sincero. And I was oh, like, I have oh, no idea. I just, dang it. I no, went for you're Sincero. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like that book talks about so many of these topics and especially like doing what you want to do and not people pleasing other, like just living your life for what other people are going to say. And it was, it's so empowering. And I honestly think you're right. Like once you're aware that that isn't something you need to be doing in your life, or these are thought processes, thought processes that are not automatic. It's like a game changer. 100%. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, she, she did a really good job laying out some pretty easy to follow tools. And what I love about her too is, you know, she's not this 21 year old that just like has it all together. Like she didn't figure this stuff out until she was in her late thirties. Yeah. And I, and I love that because it just goes to show that like you can start figuring this stuff out whenever you feel mm -hmm. like it. And Jen just decided she wasn't going to deal with it for a while. And then got really fed up with herself and decided to move forward. But I mean, you can start doing this at any age. Exactly. It's just like, when are you going to grow really sick and tired of like putting your energy in the trash? Yeah, that's it. When you finally are like, I'm done. Like it's when you finally realize you care more about yourself than everything, mm -hmm. <laughs> than anybody else. When you're when like, you get you know selfful. What? Yeah, when you get selfful. That's really yes. hard to say. I love that. That's the new thing. I know. I want to go find that little follower on Instagram and be like, you are adorable and perfect. You're yeah. awesome. And we've quoted you I on this podcast part. a million times. <laughs> yes. So yes, it was such a cute direction. Tell us a little bit about your book then. And I know your book is Conquering the Quarter Life Crisis. So if our, our listeners can get way more information there on all of these topics, correct? Yes. Yes. All of them. All of the things. Perfect. Even if there may be older than what we might think of as a traditional quarter-life crisis uh -huh. time. Because I feel like we yeah. carry some of those, even if you've addressed some of those issues when you're younger, like let's say you got some, past some of that stuff when you were 24, 25, whenever, you, there's still, you didn't get it all. There's still room to learn well past that time. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's really just meant for someone who's not in school is probably the only parameter I have. Because mm -hmm. if you're in school, then you've already got this structured thing to follow. Yeah. So you're probably not feeling the heat right. as much as, as the rest of us. But if you're not in school and feeling genuinely stuck, and it doesn't have to be, like a lot of times people think that a crisis is directly proportional to how much you hate your job. And that's not entirely true. I get a lot of clients who love their job, who've got that all figured out. It's all great, but it's their friendships mm -hmm. or their family. Mm -hmm. relationships that aren't taking off. So if you just feel stuck in some facet of your life, the book is divided up into five chapters and those five chapters to me, or not five chapters, five parts. Um, and those parts to me signify the quarter life crisis and where it could have started. But I also, I talked about really how it affects all of your life, how you think it might be contained just in your career, but you don't realize that it's spilling over into everything else. Um, or how, you know, you think that your relationship is, is awful, but everything else is okay. But it's like, Oh no, it's actually, you know, seeping into other mm -hmm, aspects. Mm -hmm. So it's just an overall summary of how it's really about transition. I mean, I call oh. it the quarter life crisis because 
that's, you know, the buzzword that we use. But if you really get down to the heart of it, it's about how to be your best self during times of transition and uncertainty. You know, we had Liz's sister on Gretchen and we I'm talked about already, transition. I'm going to buy this book yes. for her. <laughs> and it was such a popular episode because how, I mean, so all of us, all of us, I'm just going to put it out there and say all of us can relate to the stress of transition in our lives and trying to figure out who we are and where we're going. And I mean, and it doesn't just have to be in your quarter life. It's again, it's in every stage and transition that you go through till the day that you die. Oh, absolutely. I mean, limbo sucks. Yeah. Like, is there anything worse than limbo? Right. It's it's just, it's, Tom Petty wrote a whole song on it. Like, yeah. it, it just sucks, right? And that's really what this book addresses because time after time with, you know, client after client, they kept joining Blush for the same reasons over and over again. And it was, it was almost like the same client with a different haircut. Yeah. And it was interesting to me because even though the content was so varied and all over the place. Mm-hmm. The heart of it was the exact same. Mm, that's amazing. So our listeners can check out the book. They can head to the website if they're interested in looking into counseling. Where else can they find you and connect with you? Absolutely. So if you're looking for blog posts, I would find us on Pinterest, which is Pinterest slash, uh, or Pinterest.com slash join blush. And then of course our blog, which is on our site. And that's where we keep all of our relevant content. Um, if you're into the Instagram game, you can follow us at, at join blush. And that's like our big social media presence. I don't understand Twitter. I'm not good at it. So if <laughs> any of you are really either. good at Twitter, you can let a girl know because I just don't really mess with it anymore. So yeah, if you're really into Twitter, I I probably wouldn't look us up because you'll be disappointed. <laughs> That's so funny and- <laughs> because I've always been like, I'm a millennial. Aren't I supposed to like be the best at Twitter? And I've never oh my gotten gosh, it. I've never, I got Twitter once and I think I wrote I one it. tweet. I wrote... <laughs> My t- my lone tweet out there is my something something about me writing a love song for avocados. What? <laughs> Which is still factual to this. I love avocados, but it was like I wish I could write a love song about avocado. That's like oh I guess, didn't have anything perfect. to say except that. I mine had something to do with hanging out with a friend. Like I wrote I wrote one text I was like hanging out with my bestie, <laughs> and that was it. Then I think I have that tweet alone. That sounds like an away message. On AIM. <laughs> oh my gosh, ARB, oh, rest in peace, AIM. Oh my goodness, right? those those were the best. Like, gotta take a shower, then I'm gonna make a cheese sandwich. <laughs> BRB, <laughs> BRB. Yeah, if you need me and the landline's busy, you can call back. Right. Oh, God. oh my gosh, the good old days. Wow. Needless to say. We're not your Twitter girls, but we'll put out yeah, the bat no. signal for anyone. Who yeah, is. So don't, yes. don't find us on Twitter. That's my recommendation. But definitely Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook. Obviously the book that you can get on Amazon or Thought Catalog published. So they have their own PDF as well. And then, of course, you can come and chat with me at joinblush.com. And my email is like plastered all over the site. So I try to be as accessible as possible if you guys have any questions about the service or anything else. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Like, I wish, man, where were these resources? Like, we didn't even know. We were babes years ago in our, right after college graduation. It all comes to you when you're meant to hear it though, right? That's what I keep telling myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so funny. Like I I was, I think I mentioned this earlier. My clients have have grown up. I mean, it's so funny that when we started Blush, I feel like the normal age was like 23, 24. And now we're talking like, 
late 20s, 30s. We've got some 40s. I mean, we're definitely, we're growing up on blush and Mm -hmm. it's really fun. So new topics are always coming up. It's it's great. I love it. That's That's wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. I know our listeners are going to absolutely love this episode. Yay. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for tuning in to our latest episode. We hope that you enjoyed it just as much as we did. And as always, please make sure that you connect with us. We are on Instagram at Wine and Shine Podcast. We have a private Facebook group, which is The Wine and Shiners. Just search it up and we will accept you. Cannot wait to have you in that group. And as always, if you are loving the podcast, head on over to iTunes and give it a review. It really helps us out and helps more people see the show. Yep. And if you want to connect with us in other ways, we have our Patreon account, which is a great way if you want to support the podcast, you can become a patron and help support us there. That is patreon.com slash wine and shine podcast. We also have our email newsletter that is going out on a monthly basis. And you can get that at wineandshinepodcast.com where you can also read our blogs that are posted regularly and lots of other great content. Yes, so many ways to connect with us and we love connecting with you. So reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. All right. Well, until next time, we will talk to you later.